You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. If you will, open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5 and 6. It's pages 48 in your pew Bible. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture this morning, you can grab the one in front of you, page 48. So, you know, when someone is pregnant for the very first time, they quickly learn that navigating everyday life with a new life growing inside of you isn't easy. Can you ladies affirm that? That's kind of a hard deal. And almost overnight, you begin to experience some unwelcome changes in your circumstances. And unless you're prepared for these changes, they will catch you and your spouse off guard. And so it's for this reason that the holy grail of pregnancy books was written. What to expect when you're expecting. How many of you have a copy of that book on your bookshelf? Okay. Down within this little gem is a week-by-week tutorial of what to expect, both physically and mentally and emotionally and even environmentally, as you navigate everyday life with a new life growing inside of you. And as many of you can attest, this book is helpful because when you know what to expect from the experience, you're better equipped to persevere through the experience. I think I read that book more than my wife did, so I could understand how to get through it with her. Well, church, in the same way, the Bible teaches that the moment when we place our faith in Christ, we are given a new life in Christ. In other words, we have this whole new spiritual life that's growing and developing inside of us. It's not a separate life. It's our life, but it's growing inside of us. And with this new life in Christ comes this new calling from Christ. A calling that, if followed, will enrich our lives and give our lives meaning and purpose. However, in executing our new calling... We're also going to experience changes in our circumstances that unless we're prepared for them, they're going to throw us off guard. This is one of the many reasons why God has given us his word. You see, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, the Bible was written, at least in part, to tell us what to expect as we navigate everyday life with the new life and calling that we have in Christ. Which is helpful, because when we know what to expect when we follow God's calling, we'll be better equipped to persevere in God's calling. Are you following me? Truth be told, there are many believers that have very unrealistic expectations when it comes to their new life in Christ. Many expect that the moment when they embrace their new life and calling, then all will go well with their lives. Well, if you haven't figured this out yet, that's not exactly the case. Those who have been in the trenches long enough know that there's a big difference between singing, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, and actually following Jesus without turning back. The truth is that when we choose to follow God's calling, circumstances in our lives might actually get a lot worse before they get better. And so we need to know how to respond when they do. Well, this morning, as we continue our study in the life of Moses, we're going to find Moses experiencing a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. 
on the very day he decided to follow through with God's calling for his life. Yet it's through his crisis that we're going to learn what to expect and how to respond when we follow God's calling for our lives. And in doing so, we're going to be reminded of this important truth. God will always deliver for his people. Man, if we could just remember this through thick and thin, everything will be okay. God will always deliver for his people. So let's bow our heads one last time and pray before we hop into his word today. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to bring your word to your people. And I pray, God, that as Pastor Dan already prayed, that your Holy Spirit would speak through me, that I would get out of the way, that you'd be honored and glorified today, and that we would leave here more equipped to persevere through life's challenges than when we arrived. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so last week, last week we learned that God had called Moses to an incredible task. He was to go before Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, and demand that he let God's people, the Israelites, free from captivity. Now, even though God had promised to be with Moses every step of the way, Moses did everything in his power to try and persuade God to use someone else. You see, just like us, Moses was a human being. And so he was insecure in his abilities, and he felt unqualified to fulfill the task. Nevertheless, Moses, or excuse me, God wanted Moses to learn that the call of God will never lead you to where the power of God can't carry you. And so after, we'll call it a spirited back and forth between God and Moses, Moses finally acquiesced to God's calling for his life. And then afterward, he and his brother Aaron, they shared God's plan and the miracles with the elders of the Israelites. And their response was pretty enthusiastic. Look at it, it says in uh, Exodus 4.31. It says, and the people believed, so they were excited. And then when they heard the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed down their heads and worshipped. You see, the news of their coming deliverance, it caused the Israelites to break out into praise. They're like, okay, Moses, this is exciting. This is a big deal. They were behind him. And so it's under this banner of confidence that Moses and Aaron entered Pharaoh's courts. However, it wouldn't be long before their confident feelings would turn into a crisis of faith. And so found within today's text are four expectations, things that we can expect when following God's calling for our lives. Let's begin by looking at the first. Expect days of disappointment. Days of disappointment. Look at verses 1 and 2, Exodus 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who's the Lord? That I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. You know, church, if you ask me, there is nothing more debilitating than a detour. There's nothing more debilitating than expecting to get somewhere smoothly and then seeing that orange sign that says, detour ahead. Nobody likes a detour. Because detours set us back, and they cost us time and energy. When there's a detour, it delays our progress, and it takes us on the most inconvenient way possible to get to our destination. Well, here we find Moses experiencing his very first detour in ministry. Remember, 
Moses had just received his calling from God. He just received the support, the affirmation of the Israelites. Momentum was on his side. And even though God had forewarned him, hey, Moses, this ain't going to be easy, Moses was on this spiritual high, right? It's like coming off of like a pastor's conference or some great Christian concert, and you're all pumped up and ready to go. You're not thinking about the bad stuff. You're thinking about the good stuff. You're thinking about deliverance, and that's what Moses was thinking about. And then right out of the gate, he learned an important lesson. When following God's calling, we should expect days of disappointments. You know, just like any new missionary, when they are called by God and they're affirmed by the church, they're anxious to get onto the mission fields. However, many missionaries, they face very disappointing setbacks. Many missionaries have to spend months, even years, navigating through detours and delays before their calling comes to fruition. And that's exactly where we find Moses. Because after boldly declaring the word of the Lord to Pharaoh, Moses' confidence was dealt a significant blow right out of the gate when Pharaoh said, I don't know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. You know, a story is told of a husband and a wife who were at a party chatting with some friends when the subject of marriage counseling came up. And the husband said, oh, well, I never needed that. My wife and I have a great relationship. And so curiously, his friends inquired, so what's the secret to your success? And the husband explained, well, you see, my wife was a communications major, and I majored in theater arts. And he continued, so here's the secret. She communicates well, and I act like I'm listening. Church, Moses communicated God's message well, but Pharaoh didn't even pretend like he was listening. In fact, he straight up wouldn't listen. And he wouldn't listen because he did not know nor respect the Lord. Which brings to mind an important principle. Church, when we're following God's calling for our lives, we shouldn't expect people who don't know God to simply go ahead with the plans of God. On the contrary, we should expect pushback. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You know, like many of you, I look at the state of our culture and I weep. I look at how far we've fallen from biblical values and just plain old common sense, and I find myself frustrated. Like, I'm not going to go there. But anyway, I take a deep breath and I remember that we can't expect non-Christians to think and act like Christians. We can't expect those who attack the Bible to all of a sudden agree with the Bible. And so when biblical ideas and values are presented in the public, even the really common sense one, like boy, girl, there's going to be pushback. Now you might be asking, well, why would God allow us to experience pushback and disappointments if we're following his calling? Shouldn't it be the other way around? Church, it certainly would be nice if it were the other way around. But that's rarely the case. Jesus said in John 15, 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. In other words, if you're just going to blend in and do the things that the world does, you've got nothing to worry about. But he moved on. He said, but because you're not of the world, and I chose you out of the world, therefore, guess what? The world hates you. However, despite the world pushing back against God and his people, God will use 
all of these difficulties for our good. F.B. Meyer said, we must never suppose that the difficulties which confront us indicate that we are not on God's path in doing his work. Indeed, the contrary is generally the case. If we are willing to walk with God, he will test the sincerity and temper of our soul. He will cause men to ride over our heads. But he will also give us the very thing on which we have been taught to set our hearts. You see, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, Moses experienced his first of many disappointments in following God's calling for his life. But God, in his mercy and grace, would use all of these setbacks to strengthen his faith and resolve. Why? Because we have a God who never wastes a hurt. Church, can we praise God for that truth? That no matter how much nonsense and hurt we go through, that we have a God that never wastes? I don't hear you praising him. I don't think you believe it. Can you believe that today? Like, God can let us go through those trials and just be hurt, and that's it. But James chapter 1 and other scripture passages says, no, God's going to use all these things for our good. And I praise God for that. And so then, knowing that disappointments are inevitable, how then shall we, how are we going to respond when we, when we face them? Well, I like how Moses, at least how he initially responded, because after he was dealt an initial blow from Pharaoh, he got back into the ring for round two. Look at verses three through five. Then they said, the God of Hebrews, so he's basically telling Pharaoh another way, saying, yo, let us go. He says, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to, our, to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Go back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. You see, Moses responded initially to Pharaoh's resistance with persistence. And he continued to tell him about God and his ways. And church, I think this is just a good reminder to us that we shouldn't let disappointments deter us from following God's calling for our lives. However, just like Rocky versus Apollo Creed, it became pretty evident that this fight with Pharaoh was going to go all 15 rounds. It would be quite a long time before Moses can shout, Yo, Aaron, I did it! In fact, Pharaoh dealt Moses a second devastating blow by accusing him and Aaron of enabling the Israelites to be idle in their work. And that's when Moses' day went from bad to much, much worse. And this leads us to the second expectation for following God's calling for our lives. Expect days of discouragement. Of discouragement. Let's read verses 6 through through 19, a big old chunk here. Follow along with me. It says, The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavy work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will, give, I will not give you straw. Go and get your own straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. You see what's happening here? 
So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt. They're trying to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten. And they were asked, why, why have you not done all your tasks making bricks today and yesterday and as in the past? And then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw has been given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. And that is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. And then the foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task for each day. We are in trouble. You know, the first time I was ever on an airplane, I was nervous because I didn't know what to expect. However, after we took off and we got to our desired altitude, my nerves calmed down a bit, and that was until we hit turbulence. You see, I never experienced turbulence before, and I started freaking out, thinking the plane was going to crash. Friends, the thing about turbulence is that it often hits hard and unexpectedly. And when it hits you, you've got no control over it. You simply got to buckle up and trust the pilot to get you through it. Well, following his interaction with Pharaoh, Moses got hit with some very unexpected turbulence. Not only did Pharaoh refuse to listen, but he already made the miserable conditions of the Israelites unbearably worse. Church, they were expected to deliver the same amount of production without having the same number of provisions. Some of you guys have jobs like that. You're like, welcome to my life every day. It was literally an impossible task. And so utterly bewildered, the Israelites had no idea why Pharaoh brought the hammer down so harshly. But then they realized it was something that Moses and Aaron did. It was something that they said to Pharaoh in the court earlier that day. In other words, they realized that they were taking the heat for something Moses did. And that's when they turned against him. This is all happening on the same day. Look at verses 20 through 21. Then they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. It wasn't that much earlier that they were praising, and they praising God and excited and had Moses' back, because Moses was going to deliver them. And all of a sudden... Flip of a switch, they're hating on Moses. You know, church, when it comes to God's calling for our lives, we should expect to take some occasional shots from the enemy. However, when the shots come from your own troops, that's when it really starts to sting. In fact, this has been the experience of almost every pastor I know over the last two years. Did you know that? Give you a little cue into church life last couple of years. The pandemic has unleashed an unprecedented level of friendly fire within the church that has caused 38% of pastors across our nation to seriously consider throwing in the towel and quitting ministry altogether. 38%. Masks or no masks. Social distancing or no social distancing. Vaccines or no vaccines. Doesn't matter what the pastor decided. Somebody was upset. 
and they made that pastor know it. Friends, when those on your own team suddenly become your opponent, it hurts. It hurts. Especially when you're trying your best to follow God's leading. Well, this is where we find Moses. In following God's leading, he hurt God's people in the process. And if that weren't discouraging enough, the Israelites, they went out of their way to make their dissatisfaction known. You know, Hebrews 3.13, it says, but encourage one another daily while it's still called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. God's people are called to create an environment where we can help one another persevere and encourage one another to persevere through hard times. And the primary way to help one another persevere through hard times is through words of encouragement. Well, needless to say, the Israelites, they fell painfully short in this area. And so instead of lifting Moses' spirit up, they knocked his spirit down. J. Oswald Sanders said this. He said, the leader must be one who, while welcoming the friendship and support of all who can offer it, has sufficient resources to stand alone, even in the face of fierce opposition, in the discharge of his responsibilities. He or she must be prepared to have no one but God. This was a lesson that Moses learned the hard way. His day began with the people of God behind him and ended with the people of God bemoaning him. He went from having their, their full support to essentially flying solo. He had no one left but God. And so Moses did the only thing he had left to do. In desperation, he threw himself before God in prayer. This leads us to the third expectation for following God's calling. Ex expect days of disillusionment. Disillusionment. Look at verses 23 and 23, 22 and 23. <clears throat> then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Do you ever have those moments? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. You know, when I was, in a, when I was a child, my, my grandmother taught me a song. You might know it. I knew an old lady who swallowed a fly. Why, oh, why did she swallow the fly? Perhaps she'll die. Anybody know that song? Kind of. Well, anyway, I'm going to sing it to you. So then it moves on. I knew an old lady who swallowed a spider. It wiggled and wiggled and jiggled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly. Why, why did she swallow the fly? Perhaps she'll die. And then you just keep on adding animals to it, and you can go on forever with the song. But the song goes on asking why, why, oh why. Church, if you've ever faced dire circumstances or intolerable pressure, then you know what it's like to ask why or why. You know what it's like to get on your knees in desperation and cry out to God asking why he would allow you to go through whatever it is you were going through. And so Moses found himself in this posture on day one of his ministry. How's that for you? Like baptism by fire. Day one of his ministry. In desperation, he vented his frustrations and his insecurities and his doubts to the Lord right out of the gate. This great hero of the faith had a crisis of faith. It's a reminder to us that moments of crisis, listen, 
They're a normal part of our walk with the Lord. They're normal. However, it's how we process through these moments of crisis that makes all the difference. Notice that Moses took his problems where? To the Lord, not away from the Lord. And we must do the same. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast what? All your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All means all. God can handle all of your worries, your frustrations, your insecurities, and even your doubts. The great uh, bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle, said, doubting does not prove that a man has no faith, but only that his faith is small. And even when our faith is small, the Lord is ready to help us. You see, at the beginning of his ministry, Moses' faith was small. But let's give him some credit, church. He had faith. And remember, Jesus said that faith as small as what? A mustard seed is more than enough to move mountains. And so instead of rebuking him, God was so gracious and kind to reassure him. He saw that Moses was dejected. He said, it's not the time to, to, to rebuke. This is the time to reassure, and that's what God did. This leads us to the fourth expectation for following God's calling. This is the fun one. This is the good one. Expect days of deliverance. Expect days of deliverance. Let's read uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, okay? But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them and, and give them the land of Canaan, the land of which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm as with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of, uh, from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Church, when I was growing up, I used to love magic eye books. You guys know what I'm talking about when I say magic eye books? If you don't know, they're uh, these, these 2D images. They're like these jumbled up 2D images that when you look at them with the right perspective, they reveal this hidden 3D image. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of you do? That's cool. And so when I first came across these magic eye books, I was both fascinated and I was frustrated. You see, I was fascinated at the prospect of being able to see a hidden 3D image. But I was frustrated because no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't see it. It was just all... And I couldn't see it because my perspective by which how I viewed the image was wrong. It prevented me from seeing the whole picture. However, after a lot of trial and error and you know, sticking your, your eyes up to the book like this and kind of Going back, like you know, you, some of you guys that know, know that's what you do, right? Um, after a lot of trial and error, I finally figured out the right perspective for viewing the Magic Eye book. And let me tell you, it felt good. It felt good to see things for what they really were. Because having the right perspective moved me from a position of defeat to a position of victory. 
And man, did I gloat when I had that victory because I had friends that couldn't see what I saw, and it was awesome. Well, church, in many ways, the Christian life is like looking at a magic eye image. When we view it with the wrong perspective, we're going to find ourselves in a position of defeat. However, when we view it with the right perspective, we're going to find ourselves in a position of victory. I've heard it said, listen, I've heard it said there are three perspectives for viewing life. If you haven't been tuning in, just tune in now. Welcome back, all right? There are three perspectives for viewing life. What we see, which is limited. It's limited. What we feel, which cannot be trusted. And what we know to be true about God, which never changes. What we see is limited, what we feel, which cannot be trusted, and what we know to be true about God, which never changes. Moses was viewing his circumstances by what he saw and what he felt. And God was trying to get him to view his circumstances by what he already knew to be true. Because what Moses saw and felt was not indicative of what was to come. In this short exchange, God reassured Moses of his promise to deliver his people eight different times. He said, I will do, I will bring, I will deliver, I will redeem, I will take, I will be, I will bring, I will give. Moses needed to be reminded of this truth, namely that God will always keep his promises. Now, I I wish I can say, I wish I can say that after receiving this heavenly reminder that God just took all the problems away, that God delivered Moses from all his, his present problems, but that wasn't the case. If you read on, we're not going to do it this morning, but if you read on verses 9 through 30, you're going to see that the spirit of the Israelites was still broken and embittered, and Moses still struggled with insecurity. However, do you know what God did for Moses that day? You know what he did? Don't miss this. No, he didn't deliver him from all his present problems, but he delivered him through his present problems. Now, this is what I don't want you to miss. You ready? God's spoken word. The truth of God's word gave Moses just enough strength and perseverance to get through another day. To get through another day. Friends, this is what God's word does for us as well. As the old hymn says, strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. Sometimes God won't take away the problem, but he'll just give us just enough, just enough to get us through the day. And here's the beauty. What happens the next day, Pastor Mike? Scripture says his mercies are new every morning. Every morning. And so church, whatever disappointments or discouragements, or disillusions you may be facing today, especially if you're facing them for following God's calling for your life, let me encourage you to view them not through the lens of what you see right now or what you feel right now, but let me encourage you to view them through the lens of what you know to be true about God. He will always do what he says he will do. He will always give you the strength and perseverance to get through your own terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. 
I love what Psalm 32, 7 says. How about this? You, Lord, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Another translation is for shouts is songs of deliverance. God is just singing songs of deliverance over you, whatever affliction you may be going through. So trust him. And remember this truth. God will always deliver for his people. As I close, I just want to remind you. Got to remind you. Can't not remind you of the greatest act of deliverance that God has ever done for his people. One that we must continually turn to, especially in times of discouragement. That is a symbol right there of his deliverance. That cross is a symbol of what he did for you and I. You say, you wrestle with, where is God? I feel like he doesn't love me or he doesn't. Yes, he does. There's the picture of his love. Don't ever forget that, church. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, our greatest problem was sin. And God, God gave us a solution to that problem. He sent his Son, Jesus, to die for you and for me so that we might have the opportunity to be saved and have eternal life. Not everyone is automatically delivered, by the way. That, that's a completed act. The cross happened 2,000 years ago, but not everyone is delivered as a result of the cross. Those who are delivered, if you want to be delivered for eternity, if you want to be sure of your eternal life, if you want to be a recipient of that free gift, then you must believe in what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Friends, if you've never dealt with the greatest, your greatest problem before God, then as it stands right now, you're going to spend eternity in hell. You know, we've been getting so much fluff lately in the news and everywhere else. You want know, just some truth? We, truth is refreshing, right? It may hurt sometimes. But as, as long as we're here, we're going to give truth. That's the truth. That's the truth. But let me encourage you. i got some better truth for you. That can all change this morning. Your eternal destiny can all change this morning. You can be delivered from the domain of darkness into his glorious light. So if you've never dealt with that problem before, listen, here's how you do it. To receive forgiveness for your sins and to receive that free gift of eternal life, all you must do is acknowledge that you're a sinner. Repent, which means to change your mind about who Jesus is and what he's done. Change your mind about your sin. And believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Believe in him and him alone. Not him plus you trying to be a good person and work your way into heaven. That doesn't work. Just in what Jesus did. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And I love how it's not might have eternal life. It's whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So friend, if you need deliverance this morning, I want to encourage you to give your life to Christ. You could do that by, by just praying to him in your seat, just saying, God, I, I, I believe what your word teaches. I believe that without you, that I'm going to be separated for you from eternity. I believe what your word says about my sin and how it separates me from you. And I pray right now to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe in him and him alone for my salvation. And if you just pray and give your life over to Christ, the Bible says that you're saved. So friends, get right with Jesus this morning. If nothing else, if you forget everything I said this morning, get right with Jesus. And if you pray to receive Christ or you want to know more about what that looks like, come talk to me after the service. Come grab one of these packets of information up front. We'd love to get those into your hands.
when this closing song is wrapped up, the elders and their spouses, whoever's here, they're going to come forward and be available for prayer. If you guys got something going on in your life that you need deliverance for, feel free to come forward after the song. They'll be here waiting. So I'm going to invite the praise team to come forward, and let's, let's wrap things up here in prayer. God, I want to thank you for the example of Moses. I want to thank you that, God, so often we, we look at the heroes of the faith and we put them on this enormous pedestal. And, and God, it is a blessing. I mean, they are, they are heroes of the faith, God, but Moses, the life of Moses reminds us that they're just humans. They're flawed. They struggle with the same doubts, insecurities, fears, anxieties that we do, and you are so gracious to carry us through them. Thank you, Lord, that you surround us with shouts of deliverance. And so, Lord Jesus, whatever it is we may be facing this morning, whatever hardships, Lord, help us to rest in knowing that you are good, even when life is not. Help us to close by giving you the worship that you deserve. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.